0: Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. This is a special Share Encore production. You can give at myfaithradio.com. Thank you. afternoons with me i'm bill arnold it is going to be a wonderful day guys are in place so we have guys that talk that's going to be our one i'm looking forward to that the power panel is pastors tom parish tom brock peter kapsner and 007 justin jepson is with us as well gentlemen welcome hi bill good
1: to be with you hey, bill tom. and all hey, of you bill.
0: Hey guys and 007 you're just back from belgrade i understand.
2: Um, that's class classified information. I can't tell you where I've or, <laughs> or you'd have to kill us.
0: Exactly. Uh, we yeah. don't want any of that. We don't want any of that. So well, just want all listeners to know we're absolutely ready for your questions. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. All right. I've got something that's already, uh, popped up here. Let me see if I can find it now. It happened so quickly. Um, Let's see. Uh, they're coming in fast and furious. So the simple statement, my sheep hear my voice, is packed full of Christian doctrine. What does it mean? My sheep hear my voice. That's from John ten twenty seven.
1: What it's saying, I think, in depth is this, that there's, when you go to a class and somebody teaches, you hear them with your ears you may get some of the information. When it comes to Jesus, though, and we are a sheep, we not only recognize the sound of the voice, we respond to the voice. The voice moves us. It changes us. We think differently. We look differently. We behave differently. And I know in my life, as I've read the Scriptures and I've heard the voice of Jesus speaking to me in the Scriptures, it it changed over time the way I looked at life, looked at people, even forgave people. uh, People I didn't want to forgive, quite frankly. But Jesus basically said, "If you want to follow me, you got to be like me, and you have to be willing to forgive." So, hearing His voice is doing what He says,
0: not merely agreeing with it. Thank you, Tom Parrish. Who's up next?
2: Yeah, I, I love John Ten for so many reasons, and it's certainly, uh, you know, I think a favorite passage for many Christians for good reason It's just this beautiful image of Jesus as the Good Shepherd who gives abundant life. Um, to his sheep and I think you know bill even even yeah I mean there's so much packed in just verse twenty seven of my sheep hear my voice so even this that idea of I mean that that's that's the call that's 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 God pursuing us um that's that's him taking the initiative of rescuing us you know and it says, and I know them. So, I mean, that idea that He is our creator, He is the one who um, formed us, fashioned us, created us to be in a relationship with Him. And then it says, as, as Tom was getting at, there's there's meant to be a response, and it says, and they follow me. So, I mean, that's that's really the pathway, that's language, it's discipleship language. And, you know, and it goes on to talk about the assurance um, that we have. As he says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So there's there's so much packed there. Um but I think very simply that image of Jesus as the shepherd and we as sheep is one of just I think one of the most beautiful dynamics of talking about the covenant relationship that Jesus has forged with us.
0: I mean in the first century wasn't there sheep pens that held multiple flocks and the shepherd would call their sheep and their sheep would respond. I think wasn't Jesus drawing on this perfectly beautiful illustration. I think, you're,
1: I think you're right. Historically, if I remember reading it, I believe I remember reading about that. And it's still in the Middle East today for shepherds. The sheep actually know the shepherd's voice. And you can come, I can come, you and I can go, Bill, and call the sheep by name, and they just look at us. Yeah. But if the shepherd actually calls their name, they recognize that and respond. And I think that's what it's saying to us. Do we recognize the name of Jesus, or do we recognize his voice in the trials of life? as well as in the good times of life, the ups and the downs, because when we know his voice and hear it and respond to it, then we're in his will.
3: A question I get sometimes is, how do I know if it's his voice or my own voice? Mm -hmm. How can I tell if I have a strong impression to do something? Is that me? Is that the Lord? And I think that's a hard question to answer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, yes, we do hear his voice. The question is how. And the Bible does say test the spirits to see whether they're from God. So not every strong impression is his voice. So I just encourage people to read your Bible every day. That's the way to hear his voice. But be in Christian fellowship, have some Christian uh, loved ones or brothers and sisters in the Lord who hold you accountable that you can bounce things off of. Cause sometimes the way we hear his voice is through the voice of others in an abundance of counselors, there's victory says Proverbs. So that's what I would say.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's wise. I think we need that desperately. The problem is in American Christianity, we are so individualized in our approach to Jesus, our approach to the gospel that we don't seem to understand that I really can't function in my walk with Jesus without you, mm-hmm. without all of you, without you challenging my thinking, without you saying, what do you think you heard? But that doesn't align with what the Scripture says over here. If we had more of that, I think we'd stay out of heresy and a lot of trouble.
3: You know, some somebody said to me recently, we hear God is talking to us all day. Yes. And I think there's truth to that. Yes. But there's also people who are hearing from the Lord a little too much if you know what i mean where everything they think is the, the voice of the lord almost you know what i mean so i think there's a balance there but i do for somebody like me with my personality i need to hear god is trying to talk to me all day long because yeah. i normally intellectualize some of this but on the other hand people who are super emotional need to hear that not
1: every emotion or thought that comes in your mind is the lord talking to you, you know? Yeah, i don't mind an emotional person if they're willing to submit to other christians and get feedback on what they're hearing. And it may well be the Lord's voice. But when it's so individualized and and you and I and others come along and say, wait a minute, that doesn't align with Scripture. And the person says, I don't care. I've heard the voice of the Lord. Then we've got a problem on our hands. Peter Kafner?
4: Oh, hey, I forgot I was on. This is such a good show. I've been enjoying listening. This is, this is fabulous stuff. I love it. No, I don't. I just—I I really do resonate with the idea of having some trusted friends to check things out, because I, I would certainly not want to discount at all the ability to discern God's nudgings and promptings, and, and I think we hear with the ears of our heart, right? It's hardly ever an audible voice, but when I talk to a lot of trusted believers that I know— they do talk about just that, that still small voice that kind of prompts the Spirit. But I think it's incredibly wise to check that out with the Council of Other Trusted Friends. And, and parish. I agree with what you said. Sometimes it's a little difficult to cultivate when we have such an individualized life. But but for people who intentionally do that, I think there's incredible wisdom to be found when you have that prompting, when it matches up with, with the voice that you hear in Scripture with the voice of the ancients, you know that there is a, a river of eternity that runs in this world, and we're capable of, of swimming in it and hearing God's voices. We're doing so, but but with other friends, really important. Yep.
0: Peter, I'm going to keep you on the line here for a minute because yesterday we talked to Doc, Dr. Michael Heiser, and we were talking about things from the uh, the spiritual dark side. We talked about uh, some of the demonic and demons and Satan, and it was uh, a very interesting hour. Uh, but there are Approximately forty-three references to demons and demonic in the New Testament. Okay, so let's just say sounds like kind of a major theme for sure. Uh, are we hearing much of that even at great biblical churches? Are we hearing pastors talk about uh, the demonic and how that can affect us today?
4: Yeah, I think that's such a good question because I think Dr. Heisel was uh, Heiser was saying yesterday. About how much the church in most of the environments we would have grown up here in america and and including Europe, have been impacted by what 's called rationalism or enlightenment thinking and and what he means by that when he says that is we tend to think of God in theological statements and words we can say and and truths that we might live by and and those are all important, but uh, we we end up. I think un- unwittingly at times living in relationship to ideas about God versus living in relationship with the God who actually exists in the realm of the spirit, and and so it was. I felt like Dr. Heiser was incredibly responsible biblically in opening up the realm of the spirit and the demonic and and the angelic and where God sort of dwells above all of that in some ways that really sound unfamiliar to me, but I think that it's. I I was very captivated by it because of all Scripture as God breathed. As He began to sort of wind His way through the Scriptures, it was amazing how supernatural the Scriptures really are. I I think even more so than an idea trying to teach sort of rote theology, the Scriptures are inviting us into a relationship with the unseen realm and the God who is King uh, above all in that realm. So even connected to what we just said, to learn how to attune ourselves to the voice of the shepherd in responsible ways. And, and Brock, what you just said, right, in terms of sometimes people can maybe hear too much, and, and I think I know what you mean by that, is that everything becomes the voice of God, and it's it's not super trustworthy. But I'd hate to throw the baby out with the bathwater, because mm-hmm. Heiser really was pretty compelling about what's going on in the unseen realm.
1: I think Satan does a very good job in masquerading. Uh, years ago, the Lord got me into bow hunting. It wasn't for DRI discovered. It was learn how to meditate and be quiet and sit for hours and not talk. And I did a lot of praying, but I also learned a lot about camouflage and I literally can sit on the ground. I have had DNR agents walk within 10 feet of me and not even know I'm there. Just walk right on by. I think the demonic likes to do that. They really don't want to be seen in a public realm. They like to hide. And as a result, the churches to a degree, a Western church has ignored it. We haven't realized they're out there now. They're not this giant army that's coming over the hill with 10,000 warriors, but they're out there as these little um, demons the working at us all the time. And I think a lot of Christians don't know how to begin to handle that. I've worked with a lot of medical doctors, and I love them dearly. But we would talk often about the fact that they reached a point, they didn't know what to do with patients that were hearing voices, and medication wasn't doing anything. And so I actually wound up working with some of those patients. And the truth is, uh, some of them needed medication i 'm not going to kid anybody. They had that kind of thing going on, but the reality was there were others that were hearing voices, very negative voices, uh, threatening voices, and it turned out it was a demonic influence, and it had to be addressed and Most Christians have no concept how to address the demonic in them you know in somebody else or in that kind of a setting and that 's what i 've been trying to teach over the years
3: Talk about counterfeiting you know i I stumbled across a thing on the internet of a guy who died and saw heaven, et cetera, and it was compelling. But something in me wondered, what's really going on here? And then you push the buttons and discover this guy's from the Mormonism. And and there to, to me, when, when you've got somebody who's talking a lot of the truth, but then turns around you know you don't believe in the trinity you believe there are thousands of gods you believe you're going to become god as a good mormon someday it's just grievous to me the way the devil can take truth mix it with lies to get you to swallow the lie and that's why we've got to be careful we've got to know church history a little bit and we got to know the scriptures
0: All right. Let me take a little break. Guide Talk is happening for the full hour. Let me know what your questions are. Send them on over via text to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back. This is a special Share Encore production you can give at myfaithradio.com. Thank you. Welcome back to the show. Guide Talk is uh, on right now. So let us know what your questions are. We can try to answer 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. All right. Um, how about this verse out of Proverbs chapter four? Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Yeah. So this is like kind of a big warning, isn't it? Above all else, mm-hmm. huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's chew on this one for a while.
1: Well, where did Jesus say that evil and and evil thoughts and behavior and that comes from? He didn't say, "Hey, Satan is the one doing it." Although Satan is out there, he doesn't say it's it's your neighbor doing it too. He says, "Out of the human heart comes evil thoughts and desires and whatever," and it's really that inner thought life, it's that inner belief system that we don't always verbalize, but lingers underneath. That is really the danger for us because it will try to always pull us in the wrong way. Instead, I think giving over your heart daily, almost hourly to Jesus and say, let me think your thoughts, Lord. Let me do your will. Let me be like you is critical. Otherwise, we have a tendency to drift back into what our human heart's all about. And the human heart is wicked and beyond all understanding.
4: Yeah, the heart is, the is, in Jewish faith, is sort of understood as that place where your attitudes are and where your values are, where your dispositions are. All of those things are fluid and changing. So when we hear these terms in Christianity like spiritual formation, and I'm sure 007 can talk way more lengthy about this kind of thing, but, but what spiritual formation means is that your attitudes and your dispositions and your values that are in your heart, are actually be informed so that they are the same kinds of values and attitudes and dispositions that would be part of God's kingdom. So that's what it means to be Christ-like, is to, in your heart, um, have those same values that Jesus would sort of naturally but supernaturally formed in those places, because then from there, uh, when it talks about it being the wellspring in that Proverbs passage, um, that becomes—the the wellspring is sort of the external expression of the heart. It's what we see from people. And so hypocrisy is just where my heart is not aligned with my behavior. And so I might be hiding a bunch of stuff in my heart, my values and attitudes and dispositions that are different than what you see. And I think that that's what gets hard for people, right? Is when one person is doing one thing, but actually believes another. And so when it talks about guarding your heart, it really is the idea of making sure that what you let in that is going to form your values and your attitudes and your dispositions, that, that you're careful with that, what you mm-hmm. watch, the conversations <laughs> that you have, the things that you do, because we're pretty frail people, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we're we're yeah. pretty easily formed and mm-hmm. we're like sheep, as we talked about earlier, we're, we stray off the path so easily. And so to guard your heart is to just simply allow those places to consistently be formed um, so that they're increasingly more like Jesus. And, and that's just part of the journey, I think.
3: And I think, uh going off of that, you're right. Even though I'm saved, born again, spirit-filled, I'm still weak and sinful. Oh, yeah. And therefore, I have covenant eyes on my computer, on my iPhone. I, You know, when, when I uh, set it up, it is. And and just to have uh, brothers hold you accountable that you're not looking at stuff you shouldn't. I remember dealing with a man who, uh, uh, talking with a man who, uh, a churchgoer, a Christian guy, I think. And he had a pornography problem, and he talked about it. I said, Well, you know, you threw the stuff away, didn't you? Oh, no. I said, well, So you're keeping it in your house? Yeah. Well, that's not repentance. You need to get rid of that stuff. Yeah, but it's too expensive to go buy it again. I'm thinking, <laughs> You got to start making some choices here, you know. So just, yeah, we got to guard our heart. It's not an exaggeration to say, that what was an x-rated movie when i was little is now on regular broadcast television oh, yeah. that's not an exaggeration and because our culture has gone so uh explicit more than ever that verse from proverbs we need to we need to put things on our phone we need to put them on our computer we need to have an accountability partner just to guard our heart and we can't do that by ourselves, which is why we need the bro- the brothers
2: yeah yeah, absolutely. I love. Yeah. This is a guy guys who talk though. I'd, I'd love just to sit back and listen too, but since I'm on here, I'm supposed to say something, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're paying you for. L-
1: license to speak.
2: That's, that's what you're paying us the big bucks for, right? right? Exactly. You know, I I um I love everything that's been said so far and I think it's it, it definitely ties back to I mean when you talk about, you know, above all else, guard your heart. So I mean, two questions immediately come to mind for me. One, you know, well, why do I need to guard my heart? And, and it's kind of already been answered, but I mean, it's, it's the reality too, going back to the spiritual battle that we do live in. And, and it's not a flesh and blood, you know, and Paul talks about the armor and talking about the breastplate of righteousness. I mean, you think about what that's guarding and, 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 and being able to guard my heart um, because I, I need to actively participate and cooperate with God's grace um, with the new heart that He's given me through the Spirit. And um, I, I'm not going to passively, um, you know, grow into intimacy and maturity in Christ. There, it has to take an intentionality and, and to recognize that there's a battle for that, you know. And then the other question is, well, how do I guard my heart? And and, and again, going back to that that statement of, of, of truth in community, um, we need to be in the truth of the Word um, that... You know, it's, 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 it's really the, the, the truth of the Word. You know, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. I know we think of mind as not just an intellectual scent, but the heart is really the seatbed of our mind, will, and emotions. And so I, I need that daily transformation. I need that daily renewal of my mind. Um, and, you know, what Tom's already talking about, I'm thinking of, you know, Jesus' words about um, about the eyes. You know, and you know, talking about if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. Um, but then he, he goes on to talk about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so I like to talk about we have to go into treasure training. In other words, we have to, our heart's going to treasure something, our heart's going to love something, our heart's going to worship something or someone. And that has to be cultivated um it's it's like an appetite that 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 needs to be fostered and so part of guarding my heart isn't just the external things of having safety blockers and filters on my phone and that type of thing it's It's not behavioral management those are those are necessary pieces to help guard us against temptation, but it's also considering what is my heart feasting on what is what is my heart truly treasure? because it, it really just speaks that our lives are ultimately lived from the inside out, not from the outside in.
3: And, and we should talk about, too, what do we do when we don't guard our heart, hearts, let our guard down, and sin, and look at stuff we shouldn't? What do we do at that point? And mm-hmm. we've got to confess it to the Lord. I think it's good to confess it to another brother. And then you've got to, you know, like Jesus said, cut out your eye if you've got it, to get into heaven. <laughs> and just uh, speak just strict on yourself, but... You know, when, if, and when you blow it, you got to confess it, take communion, go to church, whatever, but don't just wallow in it and continue doing it.
1: If Jesus is the judge in the sense of thinking like that, then we look for ways to get around the law. That's the terrible part about human nature. But when we look at Jesus, I had an older brother who's now deceased. I admired Doug. He was 10 years older. He took care of me when I was growing up. My mom was sick a lot. He played football, he was a scholar. Uh, he was everything I wanted to be. Whatever Doug wanted, I wanted to be is what it came down to. That's what it means to pursue Jesus, that we're not just following rules in order to get into heaven in or to be a better person, but that we are in love with Jesus mm-hmm. and we want to pursue him above all else. Yep. And when we pursue him, we get a new perspective. There's a great story. Uh, Christian, and I heard as a Christian tell this live, New York City, guys on a, on a subway with a bunch of people. He's got two kids. The kids are screaming and running all over the place and creating problems, and everybody's irritated. They're so mad at him for doing this. And finally somebody goes over to him, the guy's kind of staring off into space, and they said, hey, why can't you take care of your kids? And he kind of comes around and goes, oh, I'm I'm sorry. We just came from the hospital where my wife died, and, and we're, we're kind of mixed up right now what's going on. Suddenly everybody who heard that took a different attitude and started playing with the kids instead of being critical, started talking to the man and supporting him, mm. and some even set up to bring meals over to his house. When we get Jesus' perspective, it changes
0: everything. Mm. Yeah, that's actually from Stephen Covey's book. Thank Seven you. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's an amazing story. Alright, we'll take a little break. When we come back, lots more guide Talk. Let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484 Again, 877 933 84 Power Panel today is Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Justin Jepsen, and Dr. Peter Kapsner. We'll be right back. One thing I love about autumn is that it becomes fall. Wait, yeah, yeah, that's it, the fall fundraiser. That's happening September 13th through the 16th. Your financial support makes this podcast so very possible. Make a gift today at MyFaithRadio.com or texting the word GIVE to 877-933-2484. Thank you again. This is a special share encore production you can give at myfaithradio.com. Thank you. My friend who sang that song is my guest at five o'clock. So I'm looking forward to having him on the program. It'll be fun. It's nice to have friends that uh, take your calls.
4: <laughs> there <Yes>. you go. <laughs> you I know? would know what that's like. So. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Here's a question. If there's one God, why so much controversy over which denomination is right? Go ahead, wow, guys. I
4: think I, just saw, I think I just saw a hornet's nest emoji show up on my phone.
0: We don't have to talk about specific denominations, but maybe the controversy... I would imagine the correct answer is the one that is the most biblically sound.
3: Well, let me give you the wrong answer that's very popular. We all believe in the same God. You know, Mormon, Buddhist, Hindu, Jew, New Age. It's really all the same thing. That's the very common viewpoint now in our culture, to which we've got to say, you know, uh, a Muslim says Jesus is not God. If you believe that, you're a heretic a christian says jesus is god if you don't believe that you're a heretic well they can't both be right <laughs> we don't believe in the same god mm-hmm. so you know it it's uh it is there if there's only one god what was the question bill
0: the question is if, there, if there's one god okay. why so much controversy over which denomination is right uh,
3: that's i'd love you know to me it, it's it's going to be When Jesus prayed the high priestly prayer in John 17, praying that we might all be one and we're not one. But in another sense, we are. I mean, I have a lot of unity with my Baptist brothers, even though I'm a Lutheran, for instance. So, you know, on the major stuff, we do have unity. On the other stuff, uh, Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians 13, Now I know in part, then I shall understand fully. And I think one day we'll
1: all understand that we should have been Lutherans. (laughs) What it comes down to (laughs) is that we're human beings and the Bible is a big book and we have a tendency denominationally, to pick out something that is really important to us at that moment, whether it is baptism, whether it is the presence of the Holy Spirit, whether it is the authority of the word of God, depending on the circumstances we've run into. And then that gets passed on the next generation and they didn't live through the controversy, but now they have it as a doctrine. And here's the problem. We have seen people grow up in Christianity and never question their denominational beliefs. I say everybody should question their denominational beliefs, not from the point of of, uh, throwing it away, but now get into the Scriptures and see what it really says about that, see what it really says about baptism, what it really says about Holy Communion, what it really says about salvation, what it really says about Jesus. If you can get people to do that, then we're going to be in a much better position. And I know over the years in ministry, Tom, you know it because we worked together, uh, I have great friendships with Baptists, Pentecostals, whatever, so long as we keep central with central. Mm-hmm. And that centrality is Jesus and salvation through him as the one and only God and Savior. We get in the other areas, yeah, there can be controversy, but I'm not going to fight over this mm-hmm. because that's not what's going to get me into the kingdom of God. It's whether I'm willing to submit to Jesus or not.
0: 007? yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I you know one of the things I I like to talk about was with uh, with our students. I mean, this is maybe at risk of oversimplifying it, but really, when it comes to Christianity, there are you know what we could call um, close-handed issues and open-handed issues. You know, close-handed issues would be what what are the 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 pillar or the foundational aspects of what it means to be a Christian. You know, and you know Tom's already talked about this. You can't believe. Um, that Jesus is not God uh, and still be a Christian. You have, to, you have to believe in who he is and who he said who he was. You know, we have to believe in God, the Trinity, the nature of uh, sin and salvation um, the, and humanity and the nature of, of, of Scripture being our, our final authority. Uh, and the, the, really the point is the, those are the, the core central doctrines of, of the Christian faith that we need to be very clear on. Um, and and really, that's that, that's the common ground that that does unify us across different denominations. And then I think there are open-handed issues, which really, in, in my in my experience, um, most denominations are forged around those open-handed issues in terms of church polity and how worship's structured, and you know, uh, uh, even even the way that different ordinances are practiced and different things like that. And, and people often will get into fights because I think they'll try to put. Um, what is meant to be as an open-handed issue into a close-handed issue, and they'll take a doctrine, a secondary doctrine, and be overly dogmatic about it. Amen. Um, which unfortunately can become divisive. So, um, so I think as long as we can, you know, um, you know, I love, I love how Augustine said it. You know, um, that uh, that idea on the essentials. We need unity on uh, non-essentials. Um, we need uh, diversity, but in all things we need cl- we need charity. We need, to be, we need to be loving.
3: And you know, Justin, my thought is every church should have a statement of faith. Hang it on your wall. Make it up front when you go to somebody's website. Here's what we believe. The Trinity. Salvation by grace. Jesus is true God, true man. Believe in the second coming. So I, I think it's important to put, be up front with the statement of faith. But like you're saying, don't be ridiculous about it. Don't put in your statement of faith that you have to believe in the pre-tribulation rapture to be a member of this church or another church. You cannot ever have a drink of wine if you want to be a member of our church. I mean, just stick to the big basic stuff and uh, uh, not to be ridiculous about what
1: what somebody has to believe to be uh, a visitor at the church. I remember one older pastor talking about this said to me, Tom, when you stand before Jesus... And by the way, you better not be standing. You better be on your knees when that day comes. (laughs) When that moment comes, what do you think Jesus is going to ask you? Well, Tom, what was your position on wine or grape juice? Yeah, there you go. Tom, what was your position on the... No, he's going to say, did you love me? Mm -hmm. Do you trust in me alone as your Lord and Savior? That's all that ultimately matters. The problem is, I think the devil does a very good job at getting us off the mark of Jesus and onto all these other things constantly. And most church battles have nothing to do with Jesus in the end. They have everything to do with how we interpret things or want to do things. And it's
3: fine to have an opinion on drinking wine or the rapture. I'm not speaking against that. Don't make that your pony that's going to judge on whether someone really believes Scripture or not, you know?
0: All right. Uh, Peter, you've got, I, I think, some additional comments on a previous subject on guarding your heart. I'd love to hear about that.
4: Oh, yeah. Well, just going back to that from before break, um, it was when, Justin, you were talking a little bit about uh, having Internet blockers and and those kinds of things. I think that those are such important things, right? Um, But I think one of the keys, and I would love your guys' thoughts on this too, you know, Parish Brock, Justin, that uh, just because you have Internet blockers on your phone doesn't mean that your heart has truly been like formed or transformed. And I think the goal of having blockers and and maybe – pick a different issue. It doesn't have to be pornography and the thing that we tend to talk about. But um, but those blockers are just creating space where you can actually begin to engage with the formation work of the heart, where then you actually find true freedom. And so uh, I think that sometimes in Christianity, we spend so much time trying to focus on exhorting people's behavior to be right, at least from the outside, but they can be filled, as Jesus said, still with the bones of dead men. And so you may not be committing adultery, or you may not be acting on your phone, but you're still filled with the bones of dead men in your heart if you're lusting after women, just kind of even before you think about it. So I was just curious these guys' thoughts about what it might mean to actually have freedom where you wouldn't need to have the internet blockers on your phone because the spirit has transformed you in such a way over time that you don't any longer see women in the world the way that you once saw them, or you're not any longer filled sort of with greed, or you're not any longer a person that needs to sort of spin the room with sort of pseudo-fact so that people like you better? You know, all the stuff that comes out of our heart like that, what does it mean to actually move into freedom beyond beyond just our behavior management?
0: A lot of wisdom, wisdom, Peter.
1: I think that's excellent, and here is where I, I absolutely agree, and here's the bottom line. I do believe in the filters. I do believe in the help. We all need that. However, who's sitting on the throne of your heart? If lust is sitting on the throne of your heart, then Jesus doesn't have anything to say about it and you will serve your master. Now, does that mean Jesus can be on the throne? You still deal with lust? Yeah, but the bottom line is you keep taking it back to Jesus. You don't allow it to dominate your life. You don't allow it to control you. And I know a lot of the men I've worked with that are trying to get out of these things, whether it's lust or whether it's whatever it may be. In the beginning, as we pray together and work together, once in a while I've seen people miraculously healed on the spot, boom. It's over. Praise God. But 99% of the time, it's a process. And the process means this, that I'll have the guys call me and say, I did it again. I looked at the wrong stuff or whatever. Okay, how long did it take you to call me and repent for what you did? Well, an hour. But remember, a month ago, it was taking you three weeks. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, it's not... That everything gets extinguished at the moment. It's that as we come to the throne and see who's sitting on the throne, we keep getting closer and closer to Jesus, and serving Him and honoring Him takes priority over our lusts and our desires.
3: And You know, I uh, Peter, I wish I would be to the point where I don't need filters, accountability partners, etc. And there are some guys that I don't think I don't think they do need that stuff. They don't struggle with that stuff. I discovered dad's pornography when I was eight years old and I don't want to, I don't at all want to deny the fact that the Holy spirit can do a powerful work in your life. Um, but I'm guessing I'll probably have to have an accountability partner till the day I die. I don't think I'm going to get to the point where, you know, I'm so sanctified that that's not going to be an issue. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't know.
1: If it works for you, go ahead.
4: Oh, yeah. No, no, no. And I think that's fair. I think what I was just trying to at least wonder about is is, is having those blockers and these things that we do to try to kind of control our behavior, or whether it's, uh, I'm going to commit to doing a quiet time, even if I don't feel like it, like all of that kind of stuff. I think where where Jesus's invitation is, is over time, you do get transformed, right? In mm-hmm. such a way that um, you actually begin to value the things you once didn't value, or you begin to love the mm-hmm. things that you didn't once love. This is what When it says, I think it's in the Psalms, right, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's sort of the idea of that ongoing surrender and he begins to rewire. But I think to your point, Brock, right, that there are certain things that just really are thorns in the flesh that remind us of our humility and our dependence and maybe things we're not coming out of. But I just I sympathize with the the probably tens of thousands of men that uh, I know the stats show that they get into accountability groups and they do the internet blocker thing, and and they might do that for about a year or so. But as soon as that dissipates or that disappears from their life, then they tend to go right back to the behavior mm-hmm. again. And I think mm-hmm. one of the invitations maybe as the church that we've missed is what does it mean to interact with with the power of the Spirit who sets us free from these laws of sin and death, as Romans would talk about. And I'm not talking about one prayer on a Friday night where you really mean it, right? I really meant it last night, Lord. Why didn't it change? (laughs) I mean, most people that I know that find freedom, it's a very long process where it's almost a little bit more about the totality of their heart not really being um, surrendered in some ways that God was inviting them into, even more than the behavior itself. But, But I'm with you, Brock. There's things in my life where I have a feeling that's going to be just part of the deal until I die. And and that's where God is like, yep, um, why don't you go ahead and stay dependent upon me for a lifetime? That seems like a pretty good idea.
3: And I I think part of the way we fight our flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit is by not giving up, forcing ourselves to continue to be in an accountability relationship. So that, you know, I, I, I think uh, there are people that are miraculously delivered, but I, I remember another guy who Christian guy who, I had a drinking problem, and he said, and he had like, what, maybe 15 years of sobriety, but he said, I still have to go to my, my group every Friday night or I know
0: I'm in trouble. So I think that's kind of the norm, isn't it? I don't know. Um, I'm going to go to break, but I had a note from a listener that said, heard on the news that many seem to believe after showing kids porn, there's no damage to them As Christians, we have to fight it. Oh, my. Yeah, I agree with uh, you and everyone else. So we'll take a little break. We'll be back with more Guy Talk. Still have time for a few more questions. We've got some good ones coming in. 877 933 2484. This is a special Share Encore production. You can give at MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you. Welcome back to Guide Talk. Great questions coming in. Here's one. Let's get one or two to answer this question. Can the devil or his demons hear our prayers?
3: You know, I don't think he can read our thoughts. So if you're praying... In your mind to the Lord, mm-hmm. like Hannah didn't move her lips, she moved her lips, but she didn't talk. I don't think the devil can read our minds. He can plant thoughts in our head. He said that Satan put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray the Christ.
1: So he can plant thoughts. I don't know anywhere that says he can read them. Mm-hmm. So he's a created being, you know, he's not omnipotent. So there are limitations. I think sometimes we give the devil way too much power and credit. And I don't want to undervalue him in any sense but i think it's foolishness how we go there and you know the i've heard people talk about the great battle at the end of time armageddon and they talk about you know is, is the lord raising an army and satan raising an army folks there, there's there, there's no army to be raised all the lord has to do take armageddon and say enough is enough satan doesn't have the power to stand up to that we have to give all the credit to the lord jesus and realize the devil is there but he doesn't have that kind of power
0: all right, if you confessed your sin to God but never confess it to the person you sinned against, are you still forgiven by God and still saved?
3: You know what what if the Apostle Paul, once he got converted, had to go back and apologize to all the people who he persecuted during his unbelieving days? We would never have had the Apostle Paul go all over the Roman Empire converting people. There comes a point where you gotta you know I, I'm not saying that you there if the whole if the Holy Spirit is leading you to go back to the person you sinned against and say, Look, please forgive me, that can definitely be a work of God. But can I do that for all the people I've ever harmed? It's impossible.
1: Mm-hmm. So Well you're right in that sense. I think the problem is most of us would like to make it a private relationship with the Lord. Lord, forgive me for what I did to Bill, and mm-hmm. I hope he never finds out. That's not the point. The point is forgive me, Lord, what I did was wrong. And if I have to work with Bill every day, or I'm in a living relationship with him, yeah, there's got to come a point. If he if he knows I've hurt him, or I've lied to him, or I've cheated him, so i like going to say, Bill, I sinned against you, and I sinned against the Lord, please forgive me. The problem is we don't teach enough of that in Christianity. We talk about repenting before the Lord, which is good. But I think more often than not, you need to repent before your spouse, sometimes before your children, mm-hmm. sometimes before your teachers, sometimes between your coworkers. Mm-hmm. If we did more of that, think what a different world this would be.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point, Tom. I think we we tend to view, like so many other things, um, like, you know, in this case, sin, as such an individualistic thing that I just, it's just me sitting against God, and then I just go to God and you know, confess my sin before him. And and, and, and only God, to be clear, can forgive us of our sin. Um, However, our sin uh, impacts everything around us. It impacts everyone around us, whether they realize it or not. And sometimes I think the Lord will, this goes back to hearing and discerning the shepherd's voice. I think often, you know, yeah, Apostle Paul couldn't go back and maybe, maybe he didn't remember. Maybe all the people he sinned against and didn't even realize it. But I think that the people that with whom we are in community with, within relationship with, sin hurts those relationships, and it, it, it creates a severance, it creates a distance. And there's a reason why, you know, um, we're given that New Testament command of confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed and pray for one another. And so there, there is a relational healing that because we have been reconciled to God, that ought to lead us to be reconciled to one another and to work that out. And so, while our condition is not our, our, our us being forgiven of our sin is not conditional upon us confessing it to one another. Um, the outworking of that is we are meant to be reconciled, and it does take the us to be able, be able to confess that and admit that yeah, to those that, who we sinned against. That's good. Yeah. You
3: want to maintain that our salvation only a hundred percent depends on Christ on the cross. Right, Not whether I have the gumption or the time to go around and ask for forgiveness. The, so you, you don't want to work out of guilt. You want to work out of, look, I'm forgiven. Now right. I want to maybe go talk to somebody about what I did. You know.
1: But I think often, again, and this is where I'll push back just a little bit. I don't think we do enough at going back to one another and repenting. Mm-hmm. Quick story. When my middle son, Tim, was a, a little kid, somebody broke the lamp in the house. I thought he was the victim, the the villain in the thing. So I came him to his room. And about an hour later, I go in, and he's teary-eyed in and that. And I found out it wasn't him. It was my oldest son that uh-huh. did that. And I said, Tim, I was wrong. I sinned against you and against the Lord. Please forgive me. Oh, it's okay, Dad. And he threw his arms away. I said, no, it isn't, Tim. I sinned against you and the Lord. You have to now forgive me for Jesus' sake. And he sat there and he said... Okay, for Jesus' sake, I forgive you. Now, go 20 years in the future. He's married. He and his wife are at our house. I hear them in an argument in the other room. And finally, I hear Tim say, I'm sorry, Kelly. I sinned against you and against the Lord. Please forgive me. Mm -hmm. And she must have thrown her arms around and go, oh, I love you. too. No, it's not. You've got to say that. Mm -hmm. We were in Texas a couple of weeks ago. My oldest grandson, who's just turning 18. I don't know what was going on there, but I heard him say literally to his brother, I sinned against you and against the Lord. Please forgive me. Now. There was nothing genius about what I did in doing that. The bottom line is, when we talk about the sins of the fathers visiting the children, third and fourth generation, what about the repentance of the fathers Mm -hmm. and mothers to the third and fourth generation? Mm -hmm. That's what we need to practice. There's power in that.
0: Wow. All right. In denominational churches, kids go through confirmation and are confirmed. Do we consider them to be Christians or is that a different kind of belief? Well,
3: just so people know what confirmation is, and you know, not all of your listeners are going to believe in this, but some of us believe that God starts your your Christian life when you're baptized. Then you grow up, hopefully following the Spirit, being raised in the church. Then you decide whether you're going to confirm what God started in your baptism. And so, if done properly, confirmation is a wonderful thing. You publicly say yes i confirm what god has started in my baptism i continue i'm going to follow christ for many and i'm a i'm a lutheran pastor for many people it's wonderful for many people it's their graduation day and they never come back to church which is a heartache but if it's done properly and you're you're teaching uh people about christ and they're publicly confirming their faith it can be a wonderful thing now can you be saved without confirmation of course it's not requirement, but it's one way that the church throughout the centuries has helped people come to a more public faith in Mm -hmm. Christ. Yeah.
4: Yeah, it can be a really sweet practice for sure to have that confirmation happen for young people or or at some point in their life, right? And even the evolution in church history over 2,000 years in terms of how confirmation has been practiced, its initial practice you can read about in some of the early church writings, it it actually happened right after people— came out of the waters of baptism after about a two-year period of time Mm -hmm. in which they were being instructed in what was called the Way back then. And so if you wanted to become a follower of the Way or what they meant by a follower of Jesus, then after two years, uh, every Easter, the night before Easter, they would uh, prepare themselves for baptism, and the next morning go into baptism. And when they came out of baptism, then there would be a bishop of the Church who would anoint their heads with oil to confirm now that the spirit is is sort of the the active center of their life, that that their heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh, that it's no longer guided by sin, it's being guided by the spirit. So, so there was this oil of confirmation that happened, and then they're invited to the communion table, and and from that point, you see this beautiful evolution happen throughout all the years, where there still really is. Uh, and Brock, you mentioned it in the Lutheran tradition in particular, this sort of catechism, where there's time of teaching and training to to let people know. This is what you're signing up for. I mean, this mm-hmm. is this is not just a fire insurance kind of thing. You're signing up for a life of following Jesus uh, in the midst of this world, and and that's a really big decision to make. So I do love the practice of it throughout all these years.
1: Well, I think what's happened is that we have moved so far away from ancient Israel and their understanding. In ancient Israel, when did you become a Jew? Eighth day. On the eighth day, the males were circumcised. Did the male, the eight day old male, say, "I want to be a Jew now"? No, no. It just happened to them, and then. What did the prophets say from that point on? Hey, you came in under the covenant, you were circumcised, obey the Lord, and you were held accountable, whether you believed it or not. You get to Christianity, you have early that happening as well. And uh I'd be glad to help people find this. There's a whole series of writing called the Early Church Fathers, big volume set from the first three centuries. Most Christians unfortunately don't read them, but for a long time the church did read them. And they're not scripture, and I'm not saying they are, but there are nineteen direct references in those writings from the first, second, and third century, talking about the apostles themselves, even baptizing children. Because remember, they came out of a Jewish heritage, and they looked at it as when the covenant is formed, it doesn't matter how intellectual, how old, or how well off you are. It is the Lord taking the initiative, and it's a hard thing for us to comprehend in 2021.
0: All right, I have one more quick question. I'm going to ask uh, Justin to answer this, and you've only got about 35 seconds, Justin,
1: I love this question.
0: Can a man have too much of a sexual desire for his wife? In other words, can this turn into sin? (laughs) This all being mutual sexual consent in marriage.
3: I'd like to handle that
0: one. Uh, Back off, Tom. (laughs) And he finishes it by saying he's asking for a friend. I love this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Go, Justin, go. Go ahead, Justin.
2: Well, 35 seconds, let me say, I don't know if I can say too much of a sexual desire as long as it's it's directed towards your wife and as long as it's something that you have spoken with about your wife in terms of you've agreed upon how you're going to express yourselves w- in regards to physical intimacy. So um, so I think if you're fantasizing about something with your wife that's outside of what she would be want or would be comfortable with, I think then you can maybe get into some dangerous territory. So I think it's just most... Most important to actually talk about that with your spouse. Talk about what you're thinking. Talk and and, and express that. I think you can do that even verbally, and that leads to physical intimacy as well. All right. You said 30 seconds. I got more I could say, but I'll stop. (laughs) (laughs) We're
4: we're
0: out of time. Thanks so much, guys, for being on the show today. Thank you. That wraps up Guy Talk. Thank Thank you for the questions. We still have several I didn't get to, and I apologize. That's all the time we have. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow.